Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. been under arrest and he's given his testimony and shared the truth of the resurrected Christ over and over. We don't see that he says that, hey, uh, Isaiah tells us yada, yada, yada. Most often what Paul is doing, particularly during this time, is he's sharing what God has done in his own life. Paul had a testimony of the change in his life that God had done through faith in Jesus Christ. He had something to tell the people. When faced with pressure from the world to give up in your faith, what do you do to regain your strength? Where do you find hope and joy again? Today, Pastor David takes you to the book of Acts to show you the example of Paul when he was on trial. Surrounded by men of little or no faith at all, facing prison and risking a horrible reputation in many individuals' eyes, he proved to have the faith that they didn't. He stood firm in his beliefs and found his hope in God like we all should continue to do today. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 25 as he continues his message, A Crisis of Non-Faith. So when Luke tells us that Agrippa and Bernice came in with great pomp and they entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, your imagination of what you consider great pomp is probably way too limited. They probably put it on to every extreme that they could. They loved their position. They loved people looking at them, adoring them, literally worshiping them. The word that Luke actually uses here that's translated in uh, our Bibles as great pomp is the Greek word fantasia, fantasia. So think about that for a moment. According to the Greek lexicon, the meaning of that word is a pompous ceremony, implying a, catch this, a cheap display of high status. And so here they come with all the commanders of the Roman forces there in that area, all the prominent men of the city of Caesarea. And now before you really get sick to your stomach about who they are and all this pomp and circumstance, all this regalia that's going on, you got to think for a moment here That in the midst of all of that, you got Festus, you got Agrippa, you got Bernice, you got all the Roman commanders, you've got the prominent men of the city. You've also got servants, you've also got other soldiers that are there in that area. And now, guess what? Paul gets to stand before them all and share his testimony. How cool is that? I mean, the wretchedness of the time standing there and they're all quiet and he gets that opportunity to be able to get to share about the resurrected Christ. But first, Festus kind of sets the scene. Look at verse 24. 
Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. He's going to send him to Caesar. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord, though, concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examinations have taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. Now, as we move into chapter 26, Agrippa gives Paul the opportunity, and Paul doesn't waste any time getting to the point. You've got Acts chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And so Paul stretched out his hand just as a manner of courtesy to him and says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. The fact is the entire Herod family had Jewish roots, both by marriage and by birth, but they were never practicing Jews. But they certainly understood the mindset and most of the beliefs, most of the traditions of the Jews. They ruled over them for quite a season. Some, like Agrippa II, historians tell us, he actually studied the Jewish scriptures quite thoroughly because of their roots in Judaism, because of the Herod's roots in Judaism, and because they still failed to fully embrace it, well, the Jews actually held even a greater disdain for them because not only they have the background, but they knew about it, and yet they still rejected that connection with the Jews. But Paul doesn't go there at all. He simply states that he knows that Agrippa has an understanding of all the customs and the questions which have to do with the Jews. Now, you might think that Paul would say, you know what, guys? I have shared my testimony over and over and over, and to tell you quite frankly, I'm tired of it because you guys aren't listening and walk off the stage. But Paul doesn't do that. I believe Paul clearly understands the opportunity that God has given him at this point in time. Paul begins with his own personal testimony, and oftentimes that's one of the strongest witnesses that you and I can give. Even as we've looked here in the book of Acts, Paul has been under arrest and he's given his testimony and shared the truth of the resurrected Christ over and over. We don't see that he says that, hey, uh, Isaiah tells us yada, yada, yada. Most often what Paul is doing, particularly during this time, is he's sharing what God has done in his own life. Paul had a testimony of the change in his life that God had done through faith in Jesus Christ. He had something to tell the people. Now, the unfortunate thing is many believers today say, oh, pastor, I can't really share my faith because I don't know enough scriptures. Well, the problem is you're wrong on two cases. Number one, you have plenty to share if you have been redeemed, if Christ has changed your life. You have plenty to share right there. The second point that you're wrong on is that you don't know many scriptures. So get to the job and learn the word of God, okay? They can't deny what God has done in your life. They may deny the scripture. Oh, I don't believe the Bible. Oh, I don't believe that particular doctrine. 
But when you say what God has done in your own personal life, they can't deny that. So Paul continues, verse four. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand and I'm judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to obtain. Now, you see, he's not slamming the Jewish religion at all. He said, no, this, this is our hope. This is what I'm going for. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Now, here's an interesting point. He's drawing Agrippa into what Agrippa knows. He's drawing him into the background of the fact that Judaism was in his family. He draws him into the truth of the scriptures that Agrippa had studied. The truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful. First of all, because it shows the absolute power of God over life and death. But secondly, and more to the point of what Paul's having to deal here as he speaks to Agrippa, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one of God. He's the Messiah of Israel. And he's been raised again by the power of God, demonstrating that he has power over sin and death. And why should that sound so strange to you, Agrippa? And then verse 9. Indeed, I myself, I thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up into prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I wonder at this point if he's, in his own mind, he's remembering Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And it was the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, that held the coats of those at stone. He acted as a witness that all things were done in accordance with the Jewish law. He says, I stood against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, you know, there's a lot of question about what language are we going to speak in heaven, you know, when we get there? Well, the Lord Jesus is speaking to him in Hebrew, so you better brush up, okay? <laughs> he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, why are you persecuting me? He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Lord Jesus was not only affirming to him that when you persecute my people, you're actually persecuting me. And church, that's one thing I want you to know and you need to hold on to. When you try to share your faith or you're trying to live out your faith and people are persecuting you because of the choices you make or because of what you've shared with them, you need to understand that Jesus takes persecution against his saints very seriously. And when they're persecuting you, they're actually persecuting him. 
He says, it's hard for you, isn't it, to kick against the goads? Well, what's a goad? It was a long pointed stick that those that cared for livestock would come up behind the livestock when they wanted to get them moving. They'd poke them in the hindquarters to get them moving along. And so you can almost picture Paul here as, again, the Spirit of God had been moving on him and and Paul kind of keeps kicking at it. And he says, no, that's not where I'm going. I'm going to keep going this way. And God had been trying to steer him correctly, no telling for how many years, and yet he continued on with this persecution. Finally now, Jesus has his attention. And in verse 15, Paul says, and so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Do you understand here? Five minutes ago, he was a persecutor of the church, and now Jesus comes up and says, hey, by the way, I'm gonna make you a missionary. Think about the worst of life, the worst of things. Can God change people and put them in a new direction? Absolutely. It doesn't matter what your past has been. God redeems to the uttermost, and he can make the worst of us to be ministers of the truth of his gospel. He says, I will deliver you, verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentile to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Let me stop right here. Who's Paul standing in front of? A whole array of Gentiles. King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus all these commanding officers of the Roman forces, all these prominent men of the city of Caesarea, these servants, these other soldiers that are all around there. And Paul says that the Lord told him, Paul, I'm sending you to speak to these guys right here. I'm sending you to speak to the Gentiles, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light in order to turn them from the power of Satan to God, in order that they might receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's just like he's saying, God has sent me in order to turn you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan that you serve right now to the one true almighty God, in order that you might receive forgiveness for your sins in order that you might receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Many, if not most of them, had heard the news of the way, what's going on, maybe even some of the teachings of Christianity. I wonder how many opportunities they had actually had to hear the gospel message because there in Caesarea, there were Christians there. There was a church there in Caesarea. Remember, Philip was in Caesarea. His daughters that were prophetesses, others that were there in Caesarea. Whether or not they had heard it before, they're hearing it right now. They're hearing it from the apostle Paul himself. And Paul goes on, look at verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, you guys, that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting righteousness, or repentance, I'm sorry. Verse 21, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from Claudius Lysias, is that what it says? No, it wasn't the commander of the Rome that he's giving credit for. 
No, he says, having obtained help from God. To this day, I stand witnessing both to small, and I'm wondering if at that point in time, he looked at some of the servants that might have been there at that point. Some of the regular soldiers that would have been standing guard. And to great, back looking at King Agrippa, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Can you just imagine for a moment how many were honestly impacted by Paul's words here? How many of these great and prominent men of the city did the Spirit of God penetrate their heart right now with these words? How many of these soldiers, how many of these servants, did Festus truly hear these words? What about Agrippa? What about Bernice? Did they truly hear what was being spoken? When you and I have the opportunity to cast out the seed of the hope of the gospel, to be able to share with people our testimony. Jesus tells us that sometimes that seed falls on very hard ground. Birds come up, steal the seed, and boom, it's gone. It does nothing. It does not impact them at all. Other times it comes, falls on shallow ground. Oh, oh yeah, I want, I want to believe that. And then pretty soon you turn around and that one that you thought had come to Christ, no, they're nowhere near Christ. They're back in the world. Some, oh yeah, I want to follow Christ, but then the cares and the concern of the world come and choke them out. But there's others, when you share your testimony, when you share what Christ has done in your life, when they hear the hope of the gospel and the hope of what faith in Christ will do in their life, the word says that some, it'll fall on fertile ground. And it'll take root, deep roots, and it'll grow up and it'll produce fruit. Guys, some will listen to you. Some will receive, but not all. Some will reject that truth. Some of you know that firsthand. Fact is, is you may share the hope and the truth of the gospel and whoever you share that with, they may not receive it today. They might not receive it next week. It might be decades. As a matter of fact, there's many prayers of fathers and mothers for their children, for their grandchildren that might not be completely fulfilled for years to come. And some of you know that. Some of you have experienced that. You've been on the being prayed for end or you're in that praying for end. Paul shared from his heart, and I honestly believe he wasn't concerned about making his defense, but he was making certain that the hope of the gospel was made clear. Festus, though, he didn't hear. As a matter of fact, he tried to distract. He tried to turn others away, and you're going to get that. You share your faith with somebody. Somebody in the room is going to say, ah, oh, that's a bunch of garbage. I had that when I was a kid. You don't need that. Somebody's going to be a distractor here. Festus is the distractor. Look at verse 24. Now, as Paul thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad or is driving you mad. But Paul said, no, I'm not mad. Most noble Festus. But I speak words of truth and reason. Then I believe he just sidestepped Festus completely. Look back at King Agrippa. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. The boldness of Paul is amazing. Festus says, you're nuts, you're crazy. No, I'm not. The king whom I'm speaking to here knows what I'm saying. Paul understood these guys had control of life and death to one extent, at least in their own minds. 
But he knew the, the greatest control over life and death stood in the hands of God. Just like Jesus, before Pilate, he tells Pilate, you have no power at all against me unless it's given to you from above. So Paul, in essence, as he sidesteps Festus, as I believe he's speaking right to King Agrippa, verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Now, there's a lot of discussion about that statement. Is there a question mark at the end of that? Are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? Some say, do you think that in such a short time frame, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Do you think with so few words, you can convince me to be a Christian? But I wonder if in Agrippa's heart of hearts, Paul, you're almost persuading me to be a Christian. And then Paul's response to that, oh, I would to God that not only you, but also all of you that hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Whatever the answer of Agrippa was, he really didn't answer the question that Paul gave him. Paul asked him directly, Agrippa, do you believe? Do you believe? Oh, almost you've persuaded me. No, that's not what I'm asking. Do you believe? And I believe that either negative or positive response would have probably placed Agrippa in a difficult position. To say he doesn't believe would infuriate the Jews even more. But to say yes to Paul's question in the context that Paul was asking would be tantamount to saying that yes, he believes that Jesus is the Christ. And personally, I feel that both Festus and Agrippa, as well as probably a multitude of others, had a strong crisis of non-faith at that point in time. Their arguments against the gospel had been taken away, but rather than surrender to the truth that they heard, they turn in another direction. Let me read you this from Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator from years and years ago. He says, there's every reason to believe that Agrippa was never quite persuaded to embrace the Lord Jesus. And that he was never nearer, though, to the kingdom of heaven than at this point. It was the crisis, it was the turning point of Agrippa's life and in his eternal destiny. And like thousands of others, he neglected or he refused to allow the full conviction of that truth on his mind. And so he died in his sins. The end of this chapter is verse 30. When Paul had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving death or chains. And then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But I don't think that was Paul's reason at all. Paul had the opportunity to share the truth of Christ. Did some in that crowd believe? We'll know when we get to heaven, you know? will know the impact of that. Just like for you, in your life, as you share the hope of the gospel, there's some that you share with and you think, well, I guess they didn't receive it and you move on. But you don't know, but that seed planted might lay dormant for a long time until the watering of the Holy Spirit brought life to that. Don't neglect living your life and sharing the truth of your life with those around you.
Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word.